Welcome back to Stay in Your Lane with Triple T Transport. I'm your host today, John Maley. Uh, two special guests. Uh, one is the first time. Uh, Going to introduce to you, and, and pleased and proud to introduce to you guys, Chris Kaplis, who is actually the senior research scientist with MIT, uh, the university, and also chief scientist at DAT. Chris, if you'd like to say hi to our guests. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here, John. Hey, thank you for making time for us. Uh, also have Joe Lombardo. Needs no introduction. Uh, 20 years with Nestle, 10 years before that with Nabisco. Uh, there's not a lot Joe hasn't seen. And also the founder of Eagy Avenue and Associates uh, Consulting Group. So, uh, gentlemen, there's, you know, there's a lot that we can get into, but I, I think the the subject that I think, I think that a lot of people are asking themselves are, what is the perspective with the RFPs in today's market? Uh, seeing, you know, how some companies' RFPs have fared and weathered the storms, uh, the pricing terms changing, et cetera. Yeah, I wrote a blog, gosh, about a year or two ago, said RFPs are dead, long live the RFP. Um, they're never going away. It's too big of a market, but I think they're not uh, deficient by themselves. So somehow, both shippers, carriers, and even brokers want stability. And by doing that, finding those lanes that make sense, setting up annual contracts, doing some form of an RFP, whether it's uh, treating incumbents differently, you need something to set up the line share of your contracts. Doesn't mean everything should go contract, but I think the RFPs are not going away. But uh, as opposed to when I was running them in the 90s and early 2000s, you do a contract rate on a lane that had one load a year. That, that stuff's going away. So I think you're finding that RFPs make sense for a certain segment of the network. And uh, maybe the t the length of time will change. And to be honest, the carriers want it to be longer in the in the good times and the shippers want it to be longer in the in the other times. So <laughs> I think in between that will end up being six month to one year contracts, but the RFP is not going away. But Joe, I don't know if you disagree with me. You've had a lot more experience here. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree with you, Chris. Um, the only thing, the only question I would have is, do you still think like overall for larger shippers, overall network RFPs make sense or should shippers look in there and try to segment them by certain types of business, like replenishments versus customer versus you know, other businesses? Yeah, it's a trade-off. If there's synergies, then you should do them together if you can. I know um, and this is not private knowledge, but Walmart used to do uh, a bid every other year. They do a bid every year for half of their network. They did that for a while, but they found there was so much change. I don't think they stayed with that. Um, both sides right. would like to have a rate stay forever, but we know that no one's a price maker in this industry. You're all taken. The market moves, so no stable rate will be there. Um, but I think that uh, as far as what do you include in your RFP, um, it, I don't know too many shippers who do LTL and truckload at the same time anymore because they really don't have synergies. Intermodal and truckload, sure. Uh, inbound, outbound, I think that makes sense if you can find synergies. But if there are no synergies, then it's easier to do them separately. Okay. Good perspective. You mentioned in there that, you know, shippers want the rates to be longer when the market's in their favor and the carrier yeah. wants the rates to be longer when it's in their favor. Absolutely. With what we've seen in the past 20 years, the, the major, I would say, 25 years, but for sure 20, um, the industry has gone more to a pricing RFP foundation. 
let's say you have a gentleman that takes a job at a, at a large shipper and, you know, and he wants to make a mark, right? He wants to show, you know, cost savings. He's going to push and drive the low cost initiative and when he feels the market is in his favor. The reaction for that is when the market's not in his favor, which none of us know when it's going to flip, right? Uh, Joe does. Know. Joe knows. He's just not telling us. Well, he's got the magic eight ball. And when you have the magic eight ball in your pocket yeah. at all times, you see the horses in the background. That's yeah, how he yeah. makes his money. There he we makes go. more money on the horses than he does sure. the, the transportation. But I think at that point in time, when you lose the collaboration in the, in the relationship that the foundation is based off of service, commitment, and trust, those are three big words, right? Especially in transportation. So your foundation was that, and now you're going to a foundation based on pricing. We've seen consultants come in and bring in multiple outside carriers to try and, and show an outside perspective uh, that, that maybe, uh, to your snowflake term, Chris, aren't apples to apples with what actually the shipper's needs are and the service levels are. When we see this happen, it changes the relationship's foundation that was previously there based on the service, the trust, and the, and the commitments. And then we start to see fallout networks. We see things change. But when it is healthy, what messages are you sending to your providers if you're a shipper? Well, let's let, let's get real. It's a cost yeah. center. Transportation is a cost center. You can try to position it as a strategic tool, but I think you're overly, uh, I don't agree with your characterization because I think every transportation manager is torn between this because they their job is to be as efficient as possible. And typically what happens is what you described is when it's a pure procurement play. And so if you're in a company that has the CPO, the chief purchasing officer, procurement officer is in charge of it, yeah, they're going to go for that immediate cut. But most transportation professionals fight that. And I, I work with all these professionals across different companies at DAT. We have over, got a thousand shippers that we work with at different levels of engagement. And they all struggle with, how do I convince my CFO that it's not just about the contract rate? How low can I get this? Because they pay the price for service. Any And, and I think so it's the same thing could be said about carriers. Let's not forget the pandemic. John, right. you oh, saw well. the rates go through the roof and the same thing. The really, and the shippers were saying, Hey, where's, I thought we had a relationship. Now you're coming back with a rate going up every week. So the arguments just flip back and forth, depending on where the market is overall. I think most people who have to manage it day to day and they own it are very concerned about service trust, but also cost. You have to get that into account, but I don't know anyone who runs an auction or runs a bid takes the lowest cost. I've only seen that once in the, the 15 years I ran bids, and it was with a consultancy. Um, most shippers will say, you know what, I, I, I need this incumbent. I'm going to favor them by X percent. I'm going to do something else. You get the business optimal, not the rock bottom. And the trick was you never show the raw savings to a VP, right? Isn't that the rule? Because then they take that as the new target. So I think right. overall, yes, we want that. Right. We want relationships, but you got to keep cost into account. So we agree 100%, okay? If I have a network, like you talked about segmenting yep. it, Joe, if I have a network, I'm going to identify, right. number one, my value-added customers. 
the value-added customers are the people that we cannot be late on, that require that high service level, that have consistent freight. And I'm going to want to lay that off with my high-value providers that are competitive, but maybe not the lowest cost. That relationship, that trust, have all those things. So we're going to take care of those people in that market or that segment of our business. Then, then I'm going to go to the, the customers, and I hate to say this, there are some that aren't quite the priority that some of the others are. So when you've got your Walmarts, your Targets that are chargeback clients, that when you miss delivery, it's going to cost you. When you don't hit a MABD date or a required delivery date or it must be here by date, it's going to cost you. So you may save a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks in shipping the freight, but it may cost you a thousand or nine hundred or fifteen hundred dollars for being late. That's not a cost savings that makes sense for someone in transportation. I agree it's a cost center, but I also think that the market is ripe for shippers looking for consistency as well as carriers. Let's look at COVID. Prices went sky high. Capacity got tight, right? I ended up covering all of my competitors' volume that they failed on with a lot of my shippers. And the pricing that we had in place, we were able to keep with our volume. And when we had to go outside for additional capacity, where we didn't have commitments to cover our customers, our clients' freight, we stepped up and had to cover that. And yes, there were premiums. But at the end of the day, if that shipper would have awarded us more volume in the, in the RFP, they would have been on base for a lot of that, like we were able to provide on our volume. So there, there's different ways to get commitments and to get that capacity. I think the struggle we run into is that it being a low-cost target. So, Chris, I have, I have one shipper I know of that actually bases their, their whole projection and goals off of DAT's numbers. Mm-hmm. They want to be 5% under what DAT says the pricing needs to be. Okay. But they're a multi-stop shipper, five to nine stops on a shipment. And it depends what part of DAT. That's I don't. We don't really do much with multi-stop. To be honest, that's more the. So that'd be hard to compare. You wouldn't want to compare multi-stop to that. Right. Or but you the can, numbers you are out there. But the numbers are out there. Well, you can compare it to air freight. Numbers <laughs> out there for that too. So if you compare multi-stop to direct single stop, you know, point to point, then it's different. The multi-stop will always will always cost more, and carriers hate multi-stops. Right, because it increases the per stop charge. So you will never be at DAT single. You have to do apples to apples. Exactly, apples to apples. So yeah. moving forward, when we when we've we've gone a year and a half past what we would consider the COVID time period, right? The economy's flirting with recession, but shipping sure. volumes are down. We've seen attrition for the first six months of the year. All those things are happening. What do you think is a suitable time period from where we are now moving forward for an agreement on an RFP? It depends on the lane. Shippers have a portfolio, right? They have different ways they can they can segment their network. And the, you can think of it in terms of three big buckets, dedicated contract, spot, or dynamic. And so too long, shippers have been using that big hammer of a contract for everything, but they're getting more sophisticated now. And some have been sophisticated for years and years. 
dedicated, you can carve that out. And if it makes sense, that's the thing that you want to try to do because you have the better service, but you need to have very balanced lanes, high volume and have that go. For contract, what we find is that, um, gosh, 85% of the volume happens on maybe 15% of the lanes, right? That's the ones you want to contract. Those majority of the lanes, you you don't even need to have a contract on it. Ride the market because you'll end up riding it anyway. So I think the way to segment is to think about the characteristics of, yes, the customer you're serving, but also the characteristic of a lane. You don't want to have a dedicated route on something that ships once every month, right? It doesn't make sense. So use the right relationship for that part of the network. And I know this is something, Joe, you did when you were at Nestle and everything. You look at this holistically. You don't have one hammer. For, I mean, everything's not the right. same nail. Early 2000s, you know, we would try to do on sometimes even 18 month. Well, that's not realistic anymore. Then you had companies like PepsiCo that they said, we bid every year regardless. You know, Every, every April we're throwing a bid or December, we're throwing mm -hmm. a bid out there regardless what the market says. You know, I, I used to I used to think like, well, that, 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 you know, you keep on redoing everything. But if you think about it, you know, it, it gives the carriers a chance to adjust their. They know they're going to connect. They can adjust pricing in a year, so there is some value to that. So do you do you see six month, twelve month? What what are you seeing out there for time time frame? Yeah, sure. It was annual pre pandemic, and then it went into, in the words of uh, some of the shippers work with continuous procurement. People were doing bids weekly, monthly, just to fill the gap, to fill the gap because they had to get the capacity. Since right. then, there's two two camps have come out that I've seen. There are the people who are saying six months, and then there are, well, three camps. There's the opportunistic one. We're going to do a bid because the rates are low, or they're holding off. They're waiting to see how low it right. gets, right? And then the people who are going to say, no, we're going to do it more frequently because it's so uncertain. Yeah. Setting up a contract for a year when the rates, you don't know where the rates are going to go. So let's keep it shorter. When it gets a little more certain, then they might go back to a year. Um, so I still see a lot of annual contracts. Um, but the thing with a contract, you know, six months in, the carrier, if the market okay. gets tight, the carrier might say, hey, these rates, I got to get them increased or I can't serve these lanes anymore. Just like the shipper might come back and say, hey, you know, the market's really dropped. So they, it always gets revisited to some degree. Chris, Joe, uh, guys, I hate to cut you off, but I think we're going to pick this subject up next week. Uh, for everyone else there, uh, thanks for watching Stay In Your Lane, brought to you by Triple T Transport. Until next week. Continue watching on the next episode of the Stay In Your Lane podcast.